Hello and welcome to Cornell Cooperative Extension Parenting Tips Podcast. This podcast provides current research-based information from Cornell University and other American land-grant institutions. In today's world, parenting is both rewarding as well as challenging. Cornell Cooperative Extension's Parenting Tips supports parents and other caregivers by translating timely child development research into practical and helpful information to support family health and wellness. My name is Kara Sultan, and I am one of the parent educators for CCE Suffolk. And today I have a really special guest, Adelaide Graham. Adelaide, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, I'm Adelaide. I use she, her pronouns. I am a junior at Cornell University, and this summer I interned for CCE Suffolk County to create an educational program about caring for gender diverse youth. Great. I can't wait to hear more about this. Let's start by having you clarify what it is you mean by gender diverse. Gender diverse is another way to say transgender, gender expansive, gender nonconforming. You may have heard you know, various terms to refer to this. And it basically describes anyone whose gender identity is different from their sex assigned at birth. So this includes transgender men, which is someone who was assigned female at birth, but now authentically identifies as male. Um, a transgender female, which describes someone who is assigned male at birth, but authentically identifies as female, and non-binary, which is someone whose gender isn't exclusively male or female. And this you know, sort of umbrella term encompasses even more identities as well. Okay, got it. Um, so you worked on researching and developing a program for us at Cornell Cooperative Extension of Suffolk County. Let's hear about the program. Can you describe it for us? Yeah, so it's called Unpacking Gender, and it's a two-part program um, intended to improve outcomes for gender-diverse youth by offering a deeper understanding of gender and gender-diverse individuals. The first session is really meant for anyone who wants to learn more and, you know, maybe is a little confused by this concept of gender. And then the second session is a follow-up intended specifically for parents and caregivers of gender-diverse youth. And this one discusses how, you know, supportive parenting can transform the outcomes for your child and describes how to be this supportive parent while also taking care of yourself. This sounds great, Adelaide, some really important information. And just so our listeners know that if you'd like to attend one of these programs, please refer to our website, ccesuffolk.org, for listings of where they may be held in your area or on Zoom. Um, But for the rest of the time we have together, I'd like to um, get some more information from um, what you've researched. So let's start by giving a quick breakdown on gender identity and this notion that how your gender identity can differ from your sex. Of course, so our sex assigned at birth is based on our biological characteristics. So when we're born, we are categorized as either male, female, or intersex based on characteristics such as our external genitalia or our chromosomes. However, our gender identity does not have any biological basis and instead it concerns who we internally know ourselves to be. So it involves what's going on within our brain rather than between our legs. So everyone has different experiences that inform their gender and make it unique to them. And we then, from there, choose the identity term that we believe best represents that unique experience so we can communicate that with others and represent ourselves in a way 
that we know is accurate to ourselves. Okay, that makes sense. So I like how you describe um, gender and in this whole concept is different from you know what the doctor says when he looks at us when we're born um, to what really goes on in our brains. And I think I think that's really important information. Um, we've sometimes heard gender be identified, um, gender identity is along a spectrum. Um, can you explain what that word means? So traditionally in Western society, we've operated on the basis of a gender binary. And this is the concept that there are two gender identity possibilities. You can be a man or you can be a woman. And this is born out of, you know, our tradition of assigning gender based on biological sex at birth. However, we know that gender identity does not have any biological basis, and it's much more complex than either being option one or option two. Each person, as I said, has their own unique gender experience, and this comes out of our experience in our body, our experience with our personal identity, and our experience with society. And therefore, to capture how many varieties of gender experiences there are, gender can be viewed as more of a spectrum. So personally, I kind of see it as like a color wheel with various colors to choose from. So even if my experience was pink, there's still a range of shades of pink that could reflect me and who I know myself to be. And so, you know, this is true for gender. Your gender experience can always look similar to the experience of others, but ultimately it is entirely unique to you. Got it. That makes sense. So it's no longer jerk girls wear pink and boys wear blue. You can wear any color you want and a different shade of that color that we're all really unique individuals. So where does sexual orientation come into all of this? So sexual orientation describes who we are attracted to physically or emotionally. Um, You know, for example, we know that if someone's gay, it's someone who is attracted to someone of the same gender. Um, And this is also measured on the spectrum you know, who we're attracted to is very unique to us. And it's kind of hard to replicate, replicate our exact preferences. Um, However, our sexual orientation doesn't have anything to do with your personal sex or gender. They are not linked. So even if you know my gender identity, um, you cannot predict my sexual orientation based on that. And that is true for everyone. That's really interesting. So I think it's important to think about gender and sexual orientation as two separate components. And sometimes they align and sometimes with what we're accustomed to and sometimes they don't. So that got me thinking about this whole notion of pronouns. And I noticed when you introduced yourself to us, you mentioned your pronouns. Can you explain what are pronouns and why are they important? Pronouns are words we use to refer to who we are or refer to who other people are. And they can also indicate gender. So we all have pronouns. They're just a part of language. And we usually use them in place of a person's name. So I use she, her pronouns. And if you didn't want to constantly say, Adelaide did this, those shoes are Adelaide's. You would just say, she did this, those shoes are hers. That part is pretty simple. And most of us are used to that. But pronouns are really important because as I said, they refer to who we are. So if you were trying to tell a story about me and you kept saying, he did this, his shoes are Adelaide's, the people that know me and know my pronouns would have no idea what you were talking about. Um, And then if you didn't know me, the image that story and those pronouns would create 
would just be incorrect because those pronouns are not reflective of my identity and my personhood. And the reason pronouns come up a lot in these conversations about gender diverse people is because when someone transitions to their authentic identity, they typically change their pronouns too. And that's because, you know, given, let's use the example of a transgender man, the word she no longer applies. He uses he now because that would be the appropriate way to refer to him. And when someone doesn't respect a gender diverse person's pronouns or even refuses to use the correct pronouns, that can communicate, I don't believe in your identity. I don't respect your identity. And it's denying who they are. That's really important information. Pronouns are, are very important. Um, and calling someone by the correct pronouns can be very critical to it sounds like their overall well-being. Um, so why though, when we introduce ourselves, whether or not we're cisgender or transgender, why do we, why should we um, introduce ourselves using our pronouns and why should that be asked of people? So even though I am cisgender, you know, I was assigned female at birth. I still comfortably identify as female. I introduce my pronouns when I introduce myself. I include them in my Zoom profile, my Instagram biography. And if I'm an event at an event, I will put them in my name tag. Um, and this is just because I think it's important to normalize the introduction of pronouns for all people. If we insisted that only gender diverse people introduce their pronouns, that's kind of singling them out and also making pronouns a transgender thing when it is really something we all have and something that's important to know if we're planning on referring to someone in an accurate manner. Um, and it's also important because we can't look at someone and just know their gender. We like to assume, but there is no cisgender or gender diverse look. And therefore we should give everyone the chance to share their pronouns. Um, and if you do assume, you risk misgendering them. Yeah, again, don't assume anything. Um, and I think too, it, it gives people a safe space if you introduce with your pronouns, then they know that you're thinking about that, right? And that you're considerate of pronouns instead of just assuming. So putting it out there opens the door for you know support and acceptance. Exactly, and it creates a welcoming space for people of all genders so that we know this is a space where we recognize that there is more than just two genders and all these identities are real and accepted here. I like your suggestions of putting it in your Zoom profile and putting it on name tags and just getting practice about saying it in everyday um, interactions. You mentioned when you were talking about this before though, this notion of misgendering. Um, can you explain what that means, that concept? Misgendering is when you assume someone's pronouns, but then you get them wrong. So if someone uses he, him pronouns, but I refer to him as she, I have just misgendered them. And this is uncomfortable for everyone, even if you were cisgender, but it can even be harmful for gender diverse individuals because as we discussed, pronouns are so central to their authentic identity. I can imagine that would be, it must be jarring and like someone just said something very hurtful, um, sometimes without meaning to, but that's important to keep in our, our heads too. Yeah. And uh, another term to know, which is sort of similar, 
is dead naming someone. So what some, does that mean? <laughs> yeah, so some gender diverse people change their name to something that is more reflective of their authentic identity. So for example, a non-binary person might change their, you know, very feminine name such as Amy and opt for a more gender neutral name like Avery to reflect this gender neutral identity. Um, and if you were to refer to them as their past name, which is also sometimes known as their dead name, um, this would be dead naming them. And again, uh, I see. this can really hurt because that name isn't them anymore. Their chosen name is what's truly reflective of them and central to their authentic identity. And so for both of these, it's just really important to put a lot of work into learning and respecting everyone's preferred pronouns and chosen name. Yeah, those, those are great ideas, Adelaide. And I think something that we really need to, as parents, as community members, um, keep in our heads and put into practice because um, a little gesture like that, it sounds like can go a really long way. Um, do you have any more tips uh, that you would recommend for helping um, parents respect others' pronouns or chosen names? What are some things you might offer? to us listeners here? So I would say practice really makes perfect. Um, one thing I personally like to do is practice three sentences with the person's chosen name or pronouns. So another example, let's say I have a friend, Matt, who used to use he, him pronouns, but they recently came out as non-binary. So now they use they, them pronouns. This can be tricky because I have a habit of calling Matt him but I want to get it right because it's important to their identity. So then whenever I get the chance, I would practice my three sentences. Matt told me their favorite color is red. Last week, they bought a red car. They have a red phone case too. And sometimes if I accidentally misgender someone, which can happen, and you usually just need to apologize and move on and correct yourself, I repeat that exercise to immediately respond to the fact that I just got it wrong. And clearly that's an indication that I need more practice. Yeah, like anything else, practice does make perfect. I am definitely going to write those three sentences down and work on that. And those are, those are great, really practical tips. I appreciate those. Um, you know, one thing that comes up that I see on the news and in on social media and in articles is that this is something that's either a fad or that's popular and, you know, because we see more and more people, both children and adults identifying um, as transgender. What is the research? What is the truth in that? Can you explain this? So firstly, it's important to recognize that gender diverse identities have existed across the world and in the United States for thousands of years. For example, we have two-spirit people, which is a gender exclusive to indigenous Americans and it describes individuals who identify as having both a masculine and feminine spirit. Um, and even in Western society, it's not necessarily a new idea, idea um, just an identity that's been lacking representation in our culture. And in the past years, we as a society have been increasingly accepting of transgender and gender diverse people. We're having more open conversations about gender than ever before. And things like the internet have also created spaces for gender diverse individuals to share their experiences. So this increased exposure has increased visibility for this community, which may be why it feels like there's more. 
But actually, the proportion of gender diverse adults in the US has not really changed, but it has given the opportunity for people to explore their identities at younger ages than before because they have this vocabulary that's more accessible than it was in the past. And it may encourage more people to feel comfortable disclosing their gender-related feelings at younger ages. And this way may be why it feels that more youth are coming out as transgender or non-binary. Got it. That makes perfect sense. I love your description of the two-spirit people um, and that concept being you know, a very old one. Um, and now there's, like you said, safe spaces and there's words. So people feel comfortable talking about something that's been there forever. That's great. Adelaide, this has been amazing information, really helpful. I think I've learned a lot through your work at Cornell Cooperative Extension um, and look forward to having this program be part of our curriculum and helping to share the latest research and help support parents in this area that I think has a lot of questions and a lot of myths. Um, so for more information about this program and other programs, blogs, and resources from Cornell Cooperative Extension of Suffolk County, please visit our website. Again, the website is www.ccesuffolk.org. Thank you, Adelaide, for your work with Cornell Cooperative Extension. Best of luck to you and your studies at Cornell University. Um, and thanks for tuning in. Bye. Thank you. Bye.